Wow, it's such a privilege to be here with you guys again. Um, I shared a, a story with um, the first service, and if you're a repeat, just don't get too familiar and, and enjoy it again. <laughs> it's an inside joke. You'll get it later. Um, I had one of the most awesome experiences when I was here yesterday, or not yesterday, um, last year with the glory of God. Just God came in such a unique and beautiful way that just delighted my heart. And I hope he always comes like this. Like, I hope he always does this. But what happened, would you guys care to hear the story? That's really quickly. I don't even think Pastor Aaron knows this. Um, I was in worship, trying to look as holy as I could, and... You know, just had the really serene look on my face, encountering God. No. I, I like to play around, so you'll get used to my humor, or otherwise you'll think I'm a heathen, either, either way. Um, and I had my eyes closed, just my hands out, and someone placed something in my hands, and it felt kind of a little hot, like kind of like, not too hot, but just a good temperature, good temperature. And the, it felt familiar, and... I didn't want to appear too eager to get out of the presence of the Lord, you know, so I just waited a few seconds. That also is a joke as well. Um, and so after a few seconds, I, I opened my eyes and I looked and I mean, like my heart was enraptured in delight when I saw what was in my hands. And I knew for sure, for sure that Jesus loved me and that all his promises were true because of what was in my hand. Anyone want to know what was in my hand? A fresh, freshly brewed latte. Like that, it's revival in a cup. I mean, it's just such a glorious experience. I recommend you try it. If you don't like coffee, you need to repent. So come on, we're going to open up the altars if you want to come forward. (laughs) No. (laughs) I like to play around, as you can tell. Um... So, today uh, we're going to go on a journey. We're going to explore some things and use the imagination that God has so graciously given us. And oftentimes, imagination, the heart, the feelings, emotions, has been very neglected in the church. And very, it's, it's not accepted. You bury emotions, you bury all of that, and you suppress all the unique creativity that God has placed inside you as a person. And you kind of are cast into a mold of what you're supposed to be like and what you're supposed to look like. And I know that's not the case here because Aaron is a master of unearthing the heart and revealing how the inner world works. But today we are going to explore and go on a little bit of a journey using imagination and remembering things from the past. Um, And I'll let you know what I mean by that. But who is willing to position themselves to where they can really use their imagination today. And go on an internal journey. If your heart is a galaxy, it's like you're getting in a spaceship and just kind of exploring. You guys okay with doing that? Okay, cool, cool, cool. You shouldn't have said yes. You don't know what I got for you. (laughs) Okay, so I want you to imagine... Now, some of this, for some of you guys, this might not work, but just pretend if, you, if it doesn't. I want you to imagine the first time you ever saw your spouse. And if, if you are a lovely lady, imagine the first time you saw your husband. And if you're not married, just imagine a Hollywood movie, I guess. Do something. Just engage creativity. Use your imagination on overdrive. Um, imagine the first time that you ever saw your spouse. Imagine the feelings, the emotions. Put yourself back. What were you wearing? What were you dressed like? What was the temperature in the air? What was the weather? Like, put yourself back in that picture, in that memory. Relive the sights. Relive the smells. Relive the emotion that arose in your heart when you saw what should be the most beautiful woman of your life. The desire, the affection that arose in your heart, the yearning to know, to, to discover that person, to, to make a fool of yourself so she would acknowledge you and look in your general direction. Remember the feelings. 
Remember the passion that awoke in your heart. Remember the desire to know, to know her. You desperately wanted to uncover every single piece of treasure that was stored in her heart. Like, I mean, desperately wanted to search out her heart. You were ever the eager archaeologist, a lifetime happily given to digging. Your whole focus lay, your whole focus was what lay beneath the surface. If her heart were a galaxy, oh, how you'd be the first to chart a course through the stars with no return planned. If her heart was a cavern, you'd be the first to sign up as a spelunker, ready to dive past the point of safety. You wanted to know everything about everything about everything that pertained to her. She became your obsession, your desire. Insatiable, ravenous hunger became your closest companion. You had to know her. You had to explore her heart. You had to see. You were an Indiana Jones, desperate to uncover the hidden treasures. Sleepless nights, staring at the ceiling, wanting to know how she felt about you. Your world was turned upside down. You had to know where you stood with her. Does she like you? Does she have feelings for you? Does she think you're stupid? Um, You had to know how she felt. You had to. And in the midst of all this, there's almost this anxiety, at least for guys. There's like this, it, it's, it's almost awkward and painful because you so desperately want the person to like you and you just you don't know what they think. And there's this passion, this willingness to do anything, willingness to be a buffoon, willingness to entirely embarrass yourself and do crazy acts that you didn't stretch for and you weren't prepared for, so you end up hurting yourself. Someone, maybe. But you had to know, and any price was worth paying for to know our hearts. It would turn the most apathetic of sloths that are just slowly moving into a tornado of motivation and intentionality. Time became expendable and without value in comparison to the treasures that could be excavated from lengthy conversations into the dark of night. How many of you guys remember this? How many of you guys remember the feelings, remember the passions that awoke in your heart? How many of you remember the yearning, the desire, the stirring Only one person. (laughs) Two people, good. We're getting somewhere. It was never enough to simply memorize her face. And you guys couldn't stalk her on Facebook like we can nowadays. And so we, we definitely memorize every picture, see every post. We know everything about you. <laughs> um, but it was never enough to memorize her face. Her heart had to be carefully and intricately mapped. If her thoughts were roads, you would travel them all, even those made of dirt, unpaved, uncharted. If her beliefs were mountains, You'd willingly become the most intrepid explorer the world has ever known. No detail was unimportant. No risk too costly. I just have to keep checking my Facebook status every few minutes. So if I look down, I'm not on my notes or anything. It's all Facebook. Just kidding. The most lethargic and restless listener would become still and quiet as a stone. 
eager, attentive. You had to know her why. You had to know why. You had to know why she does what she does. Why you're so transfixed and mystified by this human being that is a mystery to you that you're eager to unravel and explore. You had to know why she thinks the way she thinks. You had to know why she believes the way she believes, why she talks the way she talks. You had to know her experiences every moment up until now that formed her and shaped her. You have to know everything about everything about her. You had to know her why. Why she feels the way she feels. How many fathers do we have in the room? Awesome. How many of you guys have seen a father when he holds his newborn child for the first time? And how many of you guys have been that father? Yeah. So, do you remember the tenderness of that moment? The joy, the excitement, the, the wonder of it all, the the awe, the, and that, that, that overwhelming sense of, I have to be so careful with this thing that's wriggling and I don't know how to hold because I'm a guy and it's intrinsic in my nature to be awkward with babies. <laughs> Do you remember that protectiveness, that passion, the ownership of the moment, the, the wonder that you felt, the awe? Do you remember that? See, that feeling, if you could capture that feeling, we used to have that same feeling about anything that was birthed from her heart and not just from the things that were birthed from her womb. There was this wonder and awe from any time she would unveil anything of who she was. It was held and listened to so carefully, so attentively, so tenderly. It was guarded eagerly once you got a hold of some bit of something from her heart. Her feelings and needs, weren't they things to be adored and willfully sacrificed for and not things to be lightly cast aside or deemed unimportant or not enough of a priority. Do you remember the adventure of it all? The thrill of it all? She became your heir, your nourishment, your chosen home. Connection to her was vital. Even made your own stupid little languages that you would look like idiots talking about. You created your goo-goo-ga-ga talk. And it was unique, an expression of love. And to everyone else, it was the most annoying thing in the world. And we wanted to stone you with many stones and then crucify you. But to you, it was a glorious expression of love and affection. It was delightful. You just loved her so much, you didn't care about how the world saw you. You didn't care about how you were perceived. Your passion... (laughs) Your passion would lead you to do idiotic things for love. (laughs) She didn't care. Here's the deal. Somewhere along the way, we traded that wonder, that awe for familiarity. And her chosen home became a neglected vacation house. Her heart was our home. And in the wake of familiarity, it became a place we only turned to when we needed something. Or circumstances drove us to need a shelter. See, familiarity is the world's most prolific and well-traveled thief. It breaks into all our homes and few of us are even ever aware of it. We don't have the right alarm system. We don't have the knowledge of when it so subtly 
begins to inch its way in our hearts and change our perspective and our value for the people around us. Our value for God. Most, over time, submit to it without opposition, content to drift down the effortless river of complacency, familiarity so happily places us in. He takes what is treasured and sacred and turns it to something common and mundane. Turns jewels into trash. That's what familiarity does. So, <laughs> I promise you guys this. I'm going to get into the Bible. Okay? <laughs> I, I promise if it makes you feel better, I'll just open the first page right now. Just, just so you can get more comfortable. Um, <laughs> see, Jesus, in the, in, all throughout the Word, He uses many natural archetypes of relationships to describe the kind of relationship He wants to have with us. So He talks about being friends. He talks about being our King. He talks about being our Father, our brother. He talks about a servant master relation. He talks about all these different categorizations and archetypes of relationships. And it's all intended to bring you to a place of maturity and preparation where you can actually begin to fully live and engage in his most desired form of relationship with you, which is to be a husband and wife, the bride of Christ. And all these other relationships prepare you and train you and teach you about how to actually function and live in true intimacy. How to actually truly live beholding His glory, beholding the beauty of His inner nature revealed and unveiled to you. See, He intended... a have that kind of relationship with us from the beginning. His desire was to walk in the cool of the garden, knowing our hearts, nothing covering us, nothing blocking, no obstacle to intimacy, no hindrance to connection, nothing that would keep us from being fully real and authentic before Him. In Proverbs... It says it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the glory of kings to search out a thing. If you pair that verse with Colossians 2.3, which is in Him all treasures of wisdom and all riches of spiritual knowledge are stored up and lie hidden. So He says all treasure, every piece of treasure, all riches of knowledge and wisdom, they're stored up and lies hidden in his heart. And he says, it's your glory to search it out. It's your glory to begin a journey that lasts a lifetime, that lasts for all of eternity of uncovering, of unveiling, of relentlessly digging into his heart. He says it's our glory in that we find the richest expression of who we were created to be in the pursuit of his heart. And Bill Johnson says that he hides things not from us, but for us. And that, there's a big difference. And that's what he's doing. He, he knows his own worth. He knows how valuable he is. And that's not arrogance to know your value. And so he... He's not going to cast his pearls before swine. He's, and I'm not calling anyone swine. <laughs> Hold on. You know. He doesn't want to give treasures of his heart to someone who won't steward it well. Someone who won't nurture it. Who, who won't give it that attentiveness, that reverence, that awe, that wonder. And, and carefully hold it in their hands and bring it close to their heart. Because it's precious. It's valuable. 
And the thing about the process of searching, it says it's our glory to search out. It's the glory of kings and we are kings and queens, priests. In the process of searching, in, the, in that place of seeking, of, of digging, of unveiling, of excavating, that is the very thing that actually equips you and shapes you to be able to steward what He reveals of Himself. The process prepares you for the, all the treasures that are at the other side of His heart. So this is Him blatantly, shamelessly advertising, hey, I've got so much for you. I've got all of me to give you. But it has a cost. You have to search. You have to hunger. You have to dig in. You have to ask questions. It's your glory. To search out His glory. Here's the thing. Familiarity kills your destiny. It robs you of your capacity to search, to seek, to treasure, to steward. Because it turns treasures into trash. It turns jewels into something common. Familiarity, when it creeps in, You no longer value the things that are actually the most important priorities of life. Things that once would give you such joy in life. Things that would stir your heart, that would overwhelm you to the core. Now become something that you cast aside and don't even take a moment to think about. And you change the channel. It's... From an outside perspective, it's shocking to think that a king of the universe could walk in the door and want to embrace you wholeheartedly and reveal the things that are on his heart and we don't even have the time for it. And like, oh, but a great show is on Netflix. I've got to watch it. And I'm not, not dissing on Netflix or free time or enjoying life and having fun watching. I'm not dissing on any of that. I'm saying like our priorities internally are off to where we no longer value the things that are our very destiny. Familiarity kills your destiny. We were meant to hunger and thirst for intimacy. And intimacy is not stagnant. There's no stagnant stagnation in intimacy. I have no excuse. I've had my coffee, so... Can't blame it on on not having coffee anymore if I stutter. <laughs> intimacy that isn't growing and expanding and deepening is not intimacy. It's already become familiarity and you don't even know it. Yeah. Intimacy's alive, it's growing. Intimacy was meant to grow and grow and go ever deeper and deeper into a depthless God. So if marriage is the archetype he uses to express what he desires with us, then it would be wisdom to know why people lose their passion for one another and have an awareness of how familiarity begins to creep in subtly. Be wisdom to understand and discern, to have the necessary alarm systems in place. See, in Revelations 2, there's your scripture. There we go. In Revelations 2, he's talking to a church, and he says something that's shocking to me in my mind, because he, he's talking about this church, and he's in its verse 1 through 6, and he's talking about all the amazing things they do and how they're so steadfastly righteous they stand up for what's good they oppose false doctrine they oppose false teaching they oppose false apostles they they've stood steadfast in the truth and not let go of it and they they serve well and they're faithful and persevering persevering even amidst much persecution and he, so he's writing this awesome letter of like compliments and then it gets down to either verse 5 or 6 and he says but i have this one thing against you You lost your first love. 
You lost your first love. You let familiarity creep in. Remember from what great heights you have fallen. Repent and change your way and I will not remove your lampstand. But he specifically uses the imagery of remember what great heights you have fallen from. Why does he use that? Because David talks so so much about abiding in the secret place of the mountain of the Most High and in this intimate place up, engaging with the heart of God, this beautiful unity and connection of the deep secrets and treasures of his heart. And he said, you were once in that place of abiding, of connecting, of knowing my heart, and you've fallen from it. He says, so remember from where you fell, remember that place. Repent. Make your heart soft. Become aware of how far you've fallen from. It's, it's actually humility to be authentic. To, to recognize where you are and where you were. And not try to conceal or cover up to create an appearance. Or it's, it's true humility to be able to be you. To be real as you are before the Lord. So, so remember... From what great heights you've fallen. You left your first love. And see, the thing about this church, they weren't sinning. They weren't missing out on church services and living crazy lives. They were attending church. They were faithful and persevering. They were doing the holy stuff like tithing. They were raising their hands really high. It's just holy. They weren't off doing crazy stuff. The thing is, somewhere along the way, their motive moved from romance to duty. See, in marriage, you can get in the mode where all you talk about is paying the bills and how to discipline the kids. For example, did you see what Johnny did the other day? He lit the dog on fire. And then Sarah, she did the same thing to the cat. Oh, goodness. How do we discipline that? (laughs) Well, we get in this place where all we talk about is the duties. The responsibilities. How do we discipline our children? Whose turn it is to do the dishes? And it's easy to get so wrapped up in the business of life that you forget the romance of being married to a beautiful woman. A few months ago, um, Aaron told me something I'll never forget. And it just has become a treasure to my heart. And he said that for every... Assumption asked three clarifying questions. And as more I began to think about it, I realized, wow, that really would have saved my life from a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment, a lot of unmet expectations over the years. And the thing is, we, we hear so many messages, teaching sermons about God from people, podcasts, Several nights every week we hear teachings and teachings and it's amazing. It's amazing to get the word in you, to hear the word. But the problem is, is that we ourselves never search on our own. We never dig in and ask questions and begin to explore his heart on our own. We're waiting for someone else to do it out of their own intimacy. How often do we take the initiative and pursue Him? Because in romance, there's one word the best describe romance, and it's pursued. See, there's this interesting thing about how our brain works we subconsciously place a definition on every word we hear. I'll give you an example of this. 
So, if you talk about community, or Jesus talks about loving your neighbor, we filter that through our perspective, our perception, our worldview, our past experience. All of that has gone through the filter, and when it gets on the other side, that's our definition and what we hear. That can be quite problematic. So we assume we know what he's talking about so often just because we're familiar with the words he uses. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your will, all your passion. I think we know how to love him with our words. I think we know how to love him with our heart oftentimes. But how many of us have actually explored all the different aspects of what it means to love him with your mind? To bring something creative before the Lord that took time and effort and of yourself to give him. It cost you something. When you're, when you're romancing somebody, you want to give them the most heartfelt, creative love letters you can. Even if you're a poor writer, you'll become a poet. Even if it's only in your own eyes. Do you understand what I'm saying? There, there's so much more to what he tells us. But we filter all of it through our mind, through our experience, through our worldview. And we never ask those clarifying questions. Of, what do you really mean? Why do you do what you do? Why is this in your heart? Why is this a priority to you? Why did you do that in that chapter of the Bible? Do you understand what I'm saying? We never search out and, and inquisitively ask. Without questions, there's never any deepening intimacy. Questions excavate depths of the heart. We've become really good at just hearing. Does that make sense? See, we read so many things in the Bible, we hear it, we check mark it, and then we move on from it. Our heart's not in that position of the Father holding the Son for the first time. Of whatever I hear, I'm going to steward and take closely. Even if the word is as a sword and it's going to cut me, I'm going to take that sword close. When it, when it talks about humility, we have our own picture of what humility is. And oftentimes in the church has been a very powerless definition of someone who just is abused and lowly and never has any influence. Just kind of serves and is continually mistreated and never stands up and values himself. The thing is... in Exodus, it says that Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. And who wrote Exodus? Moses. So maybe our definitions are a little off. Maybe we haven't really asked him the right questions. Maybe we don't really know what humility looks like. Maybe humility is like a lion. See, we were created to search and explore his heart, asking him why he does what he does, why he thinks the way he thinks. We were created to search his heart. And he invited us into that grand quest saying, it's my glory to conceal, it's your glory to search out what I conceal. All these treasures are waiting for you. Come. He died to restore us back to His glory, where we could encounter His glory again. Where He could walk with us, unveiling who He is to us. Here's the thing, though. Familiarity stills wonder. It robs you of wonder. And wonder is a necessary ingredient for any romance. Because wonder involves mystery. Wonder hungers. It's awestruck. The Hebrew culture was entirely built upon remembrance. If you read any of the stories of the Hebrew culture, they always, after any victory, they'd build an altar and sacrifice to the Lord. They'd build memorial stones. They would 
celebrate it in song. They would create a feast about it. They would do these dramatic things to cement it in their memory and then carry it on as a tradition for the rest of their days to pass it down to their children's children's children to remember how the Lord came through, to remember how He revealed Himself, the nature of who He was that was unveiled as He came through for them. They would remember and stir themselves up and stir themselves up. And if you look at all the different kings throughout, all the recorded kings throughout the Bible, the ones that did not remember were always the ones that fell away and turned to sin and turned to idols and witchcraft and perversion. The ones that remembered were faithful. The ones that remembered stewarded well. They lived righteously. They honored. They ruled well. See, we in our culture, we have nothing to... Nothing to put in... Nothing put in place to reprioritize our heart to realign our heart back to the value of what he's already given us back to the value of the people around us back to the value of the breakthroughs we've already had in our life back to the answered prayers that he's already given us and then we're doubting about the same thing that he's already provided for we have nothing put in place to remind us to protect and and be a safeguard against familiarity In Psalms 119, the word testimony is used 23 times. David goes on to say, your testimonies are my delight. They are my meditation. They are my joy. I am wiser than all my teachers because I have stewarded and meditated upon your testimonies. I remember, I remember, I remember. And because of it, what is, what is he spoken of as? The man after God's own heart. Maybe it's just because he kept his heart in a position of wonder and awe before the Lord. And he treasured whatever the Lord spoke. In Psalms 119, verse 2 and 3, he says, Blessed are they who keep his testimonies, who seek, inquire for, and of him, and crave him with the whole heart. They do no unrighteousness. No wandering from his paths. They walk in all his ways. He says the ones that, that, that meditated on your testimonies, they're the ones that hunger was stirred up and they sought after you with all their heart and they would never fall away. They, saw, they looked like him, they walked like him, they talked like him. They were one with him. They were married to him. The ones that could stir their hearts up and keep abiding in the testimonies of who he is and what he's done. They kept their wonder. They kept their heart sensitive and tender. It's like so many times we, at least in my own life, I'd be expecting Holy Spirit to come and move mightily in a, in a specific way where it was tangible. And then I would expect the power and the glory and Him come where everyone noticed. But He would come in a whisper. He would come so subtly and gently. But the point is that He came. But if my heart wasn't positioned to wonder, I would cast off. Oh, oh, he just came like that. I don't really care. I want this. I'm not satisfied with it. I just want you to come in power. Do you get what I'm saying? Like my heart wouldn't value him how he chose to came. It was only this one expression I was looking for. And so I treated the king of the universe with such familiarity and almost a contempt. There's a scripture in Revelations that says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So anything that Jesus has ever done, all the victories, the breakthroughs, the things he purchased for us, it's all prophesying of what he'll do again, of what he has for us, of what he wants to bring into our lives, of what's available, of what he's ready to act upon. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here's the deal. Meditating on those testimonies keeps our hearts positioned in a place of expectancy, of trust and faith that actually attracts 
supernatural breakthrough. So in the beginning, I asked you to, to remember your relationships, to remember when you first saw your spouse, to remember the feeling of affection and passion and desire and hunger and yearning and all that came with that. The way you felt inside. The beginnings of relationships are always bathed in wonder and joy. There's a joy of discovery. There's awe. There's this mixture, this beautiful cocktail of passions and wonder. So I want to ask you, what did you do before? In the beginning, when you were first starting to romance, when you were first starting to uncover the hearts of the people you love, what did you do before? How did you feel? Do you feel that same way now? Do you feel that same yearning and hunger and passion and desire to know and search out the heart of the person next to you, the heart of the Lord? Or is it, I'm familiar with them, I've seen all their tricks, I know all their stories. Remember how things were in the beginning. Remember the childlike glee of discovery. Remember the passion, the desire, the yearning, the allure of the undiscovered. There's mysteries to be seen. Jesus gives us two commands. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your might, all your will, all your emotion, all that you are. Love all that He is. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So His two priorities are clear. It's your relationship with Him and your relationship with the people around you. And that's where familiarity creeps in the most. It was meant to keep us from being able to love Him. And in the process of loving Him, we become more of who we were created to be and can love others better. So it, it, it's systemic. This, this familiarity weeds its way in our very destiny and it cuts off our capacity to love well to love extravagantly because if you're familiar with someone your value for them is no longer the same it's far easier to cut them off mid-sentence to think you know what they have to say already you, you're not that father that's stewarding the words out of their heart. Familiarity is a thief and a robber. And it keeps you from your destiny. It keeps you from being able to live a lifestyle abiding in the glory of God. So how many of you guys feel like over time familiarity has slowly crept in either with your relationship with your spouses or your brothers and sisters, the people around you, 
or in your relationship with the Lord? How many of you feel like it's beginning to creep in or it's already crept in? Or you no longer have that hunger, that yearning, that passion, that wealth of emotion and affection. It's all, I've seen that before. I've read that before. I've felt you that way before, Holy Spirit. And there's a contentment that settles over us. We're no longer taking territory. We're no longer growing in intimacy. It's just, oh, I'm content with where we are. How many of you feel like that has begun to creep into your life? Because that that robs you of your destiny. That robs you of your capacity to love well. That robs you of your capacity to become who you were created to be. Puts a cap right on it. So, with the remaining time we have, I just want to go after that familiarity. Um, the thing about how to how to break free of familiarity, it's the key is in Revelations too when it says, "Remember from the heights that you've fallen and repent, soften your hearts, recognize how far where you once were." to where you are now and soften your heart to that. And repent means to change your thinking. So it's... I'm actually from here on out setting a new standard. Forgiveness restores the standard. In fact, what it once was. So it's this commitment and an accountability put in place with your spouse, with the people around you, or with Holy Spirit, to, wow, I'm actually accountable for me and my heart and the position of my heart towards you. So I'm actually inviting you into my life to to correct, to speak correction, to come as a sword with the Word and pierce. And I'm going to bring that in. Does that make sense? That's why it says, receive the word in humility, for it has the power to save your souls. It says, receive the word in that humble heart, that willingness to bring it in. And it's able to transform this inner world. It's able to bring it back to health and wholeness, proper perspective, right belief. So if if you feel like that's you, if you feel like it's beginning to creep in or it has crept in, I just want you guys to come to the front. I want to lead you in an activation with Holy Spirit. And the thing about familiarity is that there's the contentment and apathy and there's no longer that passion to... Make a fool of yourself and expose yourself and be ridiculous and take risks. Discomfort is no longer something to gleefully run through. It's something that hinders you from doing what's necessary. Does that make sense? So if you know that's you, I just want you to... to to do like you did before... And be willing to make a fool out of yourself for the sake of romance, for the sake of passion. I'm just going to give you a second.
want you guys to close your eyes. I want you to go into that place. Go into that. If, if humility was actually a place, I want you to go there. That, it's a position of the heart. That position to receive correction, to receive accountability, to, to soften your heart towards whatever he says. Because he actually prunes us through his voice. I want you to open your hearts to whatever Holy Spirit has to say. Just soften your heart before Him. Remember the passions and joys of where you came from. Remember the delight you had in your relationship with Him. Remember the giddiness. Remember the childlike awe, the childlike wonder. Remember the sleepless nights of staring at the ceiling. Remember the yearning desire to know Him or to know your spouse. See, it's not just the Lord we're talking about. If you have familiarity with your relationships, come up front for that as well. And as you're in that place of tenderness, that place of Humility. I want you to say this to Holy Spirit. I repent of familiarity. I repent of familiarity. And in its place, I ask that you would restore my wonder. That you would restore my childlike zeal. That you would restore my hunger and my awe. That you would restore my yearning for you. Wow. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to me how to steward wonder well. What do I need to put in place in my life to ensure that I keep my heart in a place of wonder and tenderness before you? That you would restore my wonder for my wife, for my relationships. That I would rightly value the people you've placed in my life. I would rightly esteem them. you're having trouble connecting, remembering what you did before, or remembering the value of the people you're with, just ask Holy Spirit, remind me of what I did before. Remind me of those great heights we once were at. Just listen to what He says. If He he tells you of how to steward it, if He tells you of something you need to start doing, or if He just wants to pour His affection on you. Just let Him speak to you the way He wants to. Let Him do what He wants you to do. See, sometimes He doesn't just speak in words. Sometimes He uses pictures or emotions or a wealth of emotion or imagery or imagination. And oftentimes we discredit it and we say, oh, that was just us. That was just my mind. When He's actually communicating to us through the very tools He's given us, through the very mind He's placed inside of us. So Holy Spirit, I ask that You would take each person here on a journey, on a journey of of remembering, on a journey of restoring wonder. Restore their wonder, Father. Wow. Restore their wonder. Take them into that romance again. Take them into that delight. Restore their wonder, Daddy. Restore. 
Reawaken the fires of romance. Reawaken the fires and passions of love and desire. Restore their wonder, Father. Wow. Thank you, Father. Let them be like a child. Overtaken with delight. If a child sees a puddle, a puddle is an endless source of joy and delight. The way they can play in that puddle and look at it. And we see it and, oh, it's a stupid puddle. i got to avoid it. Let us be put in that place of wonder again. Where everything's new. Wow. Restore our wonder, Father. Just be like that father who just stewards everything that comes out of your heart with the utmost reverence and tenderness and passion and care. Let us steward the treasures that come from the hearts of those around us. Thank you, Father, that we would have the tools to steward steward the journey well. That we'd have the right tools to keep our heart from ever letting familiarity in. Holy Spirit, I just thank you. Thank you for the glory that you have stored up for us. Thank you how you so freely give your heart, how you invite us in the greatest journey of all, of knowing, of exploring, of seeing behind the veil, of actually having intimacy with us, that you would trust us so much that you could be hurt by us, that your heart is so tender towards us, that just one look from our eyes ravishes your heart. Let us live in awareness of that reality. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we would pay any price. That we would begin to ask questions, to search, to excavate your heart. That we would be relentless in our passion and pursuit for your heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we would properly steward our wonder. That we would properly steward our value and our wonder for the people around us. For our wives, our spouses, for our children, for our close friends. Let us realign our value system to value them based on the son and daughter of the king that they are. They are royalty. The people around us are royalty. Let us properly value them as royalty. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we would remind ourselves of what we did before continually. That we would be students of your testimonies. That we would meditate and steward your testimonies. Restore our wonder, Daddy. Let us never fall or diminish 
the love we have for our first love. Give us the grace to always steward it well. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen.